the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, many Christians believe that the future is a millennium on earth where God will move over and kind of put his tin up and he'll work right alongside an evil, corrupt planet and kind of transform or work with what is. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the very last message in the Cosmic Controversy series, number 18, entitled, The Death of Darkness in the Last Morning. Now, we'll bring you the first portion of this message here today. Due to our time constraints, we're not able to complete it, but we will do so the next time we get together. And remember that the death of darkness in the last morning, the last message, and the entire Cosmic Controversy series are available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with today's broadcast. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Now, this past week, as I said, I went to Tennessee to work with my two sons on a cabin at Grandma and Grandpa's place in Jellicoe Mountain. The cabin is about 8 by 12 feet with an 8 and a half foot tall wall. It looks like something out of Escher's architecture. Anyone here ever study Escher's architecture? Multidimensional art. Well, it kind of started as a love passion with crooked lines, bad framing, but in time, it became a cabin that would actually hold up a roof. And the decision was made this Christmas for the boys and myself for us to get together, to go there, and to get this thing right, to put an A-frame on the roof, to put tin on it, to get it to where we could actually use it as a cabin. So I was gone for a week to get the job done. It felt like slavery to the bitter end. We were in the cold and the mud during Christmas. As you folks were celebrating here, we were surviving in the great outdoors. We worked from morning to night, fighting the clock all the way, hammering, nailing, sawing. We didn't have electrical supplies, so we had a battery-driven saw. When it ran out, we had to do everything by hand. And as we worked, the job started getting bigger and bigger and expanding. You ever have a project like that? You start it, and before long, it takes over your life. Here we were. The project had taken over our life. I tried to explain to my sons that square walls matter. You know, you get the square and you level, and it matters if things are level and square. My older son, John Michael, said, Dad, you know, don't be so much a perfectionist. I said, if you're going to build something, you've got to be right on. It has to be perfect. Measuring accurately pays off in the long run. Well, to put that roof on the cabin because of bad lines and bad squaring, we had to practically reframe the whole cabin because the lines were off. So we really rebuilt everything. Then we decided to add a door and two windows and insulate the thing as well. We worked late into the night with a little flashlight guiding the hammer and the saw and the tired eyes. Have you ever tried to build something in the dark? Anyone ever tried that? I discovered that when it's dark and cold, it's easy to get temperamental. Amen, right? That, that's the truth. 
When it's dark and cold, it's easy to get temperamental. It's easy to get irritated because you have to work in the darkness. If you make a mistake, it seems like it magnifies the mistake. So together we found ourselves apologizing a lot more in the darkness than we would if we were working in the light. Finally, my son John Michael advised me to put a lantern up, and we did so, and the work became a joy in the night. You see, a light makes a difference in the night. Dear heart, if you are in the darkness in your life, if you're feeling like God has shut out from you and you can't see five minutes into your future, a light makes a difference in the night. And the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. Christ majors in coming into your dark rooms, into your closed shelters, into the gloomy circumstances that you cannot fix and he enjoys in an infinite kind of way, illumining your life and bringing you to a bright outcome. Dear heart, as a child of God, Jesus would have you walk in the light because he is the light. He would have his people walk in the light and live in the light forever. And when the light has done its needed work in you, when he has done his work in you, there will be no more darkness, only light. Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement about darkness. He said, darkness is only driven out with light, not with more darkness. According to the Bible, even evil cannot be destroyed unless there is a death of darkness. This essential truth can be stated another way. Evil will live forever unless darkness dies. Evil is the work of darkness, and evil is the darkness itself. And the day darkness dies is the death of evil. Now think about this. If the devil lives forever in a place called hell, as very many people in the Christian world believe that he will, if the devil lives forever in a place called hell, then darkness will live forever and God will be the author of evil into eternity. So we must address this core misunderstanding that has somehow found its way from pagan thought into the Christian church in the first few centuries that has so warped a view of God that people have served God out of fear rather than recognizing Him as the source of life and light, as the white-hot heat of love that will endure forever. A misunderstanding of the character of God is rooted in this understanding of hell that is false. When this world was created, the Bible says it was created out of darkness. That means there was evil in the universe before this planet was created by God. Our world was made in the context of a cosmic controversy. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now there's nothing good here said about the darkness. It says the light was good. Nothing good at all. In fact, in the creation account, there is nothing good said about either the darkness or the deep, the sea waters of that primordial world. On the second day, there is only sea. And there is not one statement on the second day that says it was good. So darkness and the deep become the twin metaphors of evil in the Bible. As Scripture begins, we find darkness and the sea before God says, let there be light. When God created the world, he separated the night from the day. The greater light belongs to the day, and the lesser light keeps the night. But in the depths of the cold sea, there is no sun or moon to be seen, so the ultimate darkness belongs to the deep pit of the sea. Now, for this reason, Satan has been assigned in Scripture to the sea. Isaiah 27, verse 1, 
The Bible says, In that day the Lord with His hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan the fleeing serpent. Now Revelation 12 is very clear that Satan is that ancient serpent of old. And one day God will punish that serpent. And look where he lives. Leviathan the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is where? What does the Bible say? That is in the sea. That's the darkest place on earth is the deep pit of the sea. To destroy the dragon, you have to drag him out of the bottomless pit into the light. At the very end of time, the dragon will make war upon the Christian church. The book of Revelation is absolutely clear about this. He will attempt to annihilate the people of God on earth who are faithful to his word. He will set his sights to reverse the great religious reformation that began after the Middle Ages. He will try to shut down the activity of the three angels' messages. And to do this, he will leave the sea of nations. He will go off to a lamb-like beast in a new land. And he will attack a remnant that God has raised up to win the world back to God. Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was angry with the woman. He went off to make war on the remnant of her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. In Revelation 16, 13, three unclean spirits will leave the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet to counteract the work of the three angels of Revelation 14. These three foul spirits that come from the dragon will gather the kings of the earth. The Greek says they will synagogue together, a religious revival, a gathering of the political powers of the earth for the final showdown before the second coming. It's identified as the battle of Armageddon. And in Revelation 17 and 18, the Bible describes the final meltdown of Western civilization, the failed attempt to establish a new world order, to bring the world together for the future. It will utterly fail on human terms. The political, the economic, the religious union, the political, the kings of the earth, the economic, the merchants, the religious union represented by the harlot, At the end of time, it will all collapse. The great city of Babylon will be split into three parts. And that final attempt to bring it all together on human terms will fail. The world that was created for the light will face the specter of night and the rejection of Jesus Christ, who is the true lamp and light of the world. In Revelation 18.23, the Bible describes the final rejection of light by end-time Babylon. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 18.23. It's a poetic, tragic description of what happens in end-time Babylon. The Bible says, And the light of a lamp shall shine in thee no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall be heard in thee no more. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, and all nations were deceived by thy sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth." In Revelation 19, Jesus comes on a great white horse with the armies of heaven to rescue his bride that is dressed in white. He will rescue the church, the princess, from the dragon at the second coming of Christ. In Revelation 19, 20 and 21, the beast and the false prophet are captured. They're thrown alive into the lake of fire. In Revelation 20, 14, the Bible says the lake of fire is the second death. Now what does that mean? It means we'll never ever see these powers again. In the book of Revelation, the second death is that death from which there is no resurrection. They will not ascend from the sea. They will not come back to haunt the world seeing. The beast is the world kingdom system. And after the second coming of Christ, it will never, ever be seen again. The lamb-like beast is the false prophet of the world kingdom system, a nation that arose at the end of the Middle Ages 
that will help to create this new union at the end. And it will never be seen again after the second coming of Christ. But the dragon's fate is different than the fate of kingdoms. The dragon is captured just like these two, but he is not killed at the same time by the second coming of Christ. He's not destroyed. The beast and the false prophet are, but he has an extension of existence. Revelation 20, verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Has anyone here ever tried to catch a snake with your bare hands? I mean, my sons would go catch copperheads with their bare hands and come up and say, Hey, Dad, look! And you know, all you can think of is, throw that thing away, right? You don't want to mess with serpents, snakes, or anything with your bare hands. My older son, John Michael, has a phobia of snakes. We were out on a picnic years ago near Brighton Dam, and there was a copperhead that was coming down the water and got entangled in his legs. It didn't bite him, but he has never felt the same about snakes since. He has a, a real phobia of them. I don't have as much of phobia. I like catching them and throwing them away. I don't like having them around. But uh, some snakes are useful, but not copperheads and rattlesnakes as far as I'm concerned. Who wants to pick one of those things up? Don't even try it. But here we see at the end of time, at the second coming of Christ, that a strong angel will take the great dragon and seize him. He will chain him up, and then he will bind him up for a thousand years. Isn't that good news? I mean, you think of the devil being in charge of the world. He's not in charge of anything. The Bible says that all authority has been given to Christ through God and that he has no right to authority. But there will come a day when he has no right to move. He'll be bound up and chained for a thousand years. Now, the word translated bottomless pit from the Greek is the word abyss. And it is the same Greek word used in the Greek Old Testament for the dark deep of Genesis 1 verse 2 before God said, let there be light. It represents the sea, the depths of the dark ocean before it was created. The bottomless pit is the sea without land before God said, let there be light. So after the second coming of Christ, God will stuff the dragon right back into the sea pit. Tartarus, all over again. He will throw him down and he'll be there and he won't be able to mess with anyone for a long time. So when Jesus comes back to this world in all his glory, he will come in fire. The Bible is clear about this. And the glory of the Lamb and of the angels will render this planet a lifeless ball shaking in space for a thousand years. It will be just as it was before God said in the beginning, let there be light. And the devil will be here during the millennium. Look at verse 3, Revelation 20. And the angel threw the dragon into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be loosed for a little while. So the Bible is very clear. Satan will be in prison for a thousand years. And during that time, he will not be able to deceive anyone. But at the end of that time, he'll be loosed from his prison and he will again be able to deceive the nations. So when Jesus comes back, the Bible's clear that those who do not love him, those who make war on, upon his people, those who join with the dragon will be destroyed by the fire of his presence. The Bible is also clear that the righteous will not stay here on earth. Pastor Michael Oxenteco will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, 
biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You know, many Christians believe that the future is a millennium on earth where God will move over and kind of put his tin up and he'll work right alongside an evil, corrupt planet and kind of transform or work with what is. The Bible doesn't teach that. In the great image of Daniel 2, the rock comes and smites the image and crushes it and blows it away. And a mountain takes the place of the old. There is no continuity between the new and the old. The new is a radical break into human history. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the resurrected dead are caught up in the air to meet the Lord at the second coming. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the living saints are then caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So everybody goes up. Now, why would it be necessary to meet the Lord in the air if the Lord was going to stay here for a thousand years? Basic question. Wouldn't it be better to meet in Jerusalem or some great city and start there? But Jesus said, if the Messiah, if someone claims to be the Christ and he's in the secret place or he's in the city or he's there in the room, don't go out. For as lightning shines from the east and to the west, the coming of the Son of Man will be. I mean, Christ is coming in the clouds, according to Revelation 1-7. And every eye will see Him. And we are not going to meet the Lord on the earth. Now, there are some pictures out there, even in our church, which I'm very disappointed with, where it shows parents being reunited with loved ones in the resurrection at a graveyard. You ever seen pictures like that? There's the angel, and there's mommy and daddy, and there they are hugging each other beside a tombstone. The Bible doesn't teach that. It says we'll be caught up in the air, and we'll meet each other up there. There'll be nothing to associate the past with the future. We will not look back. We will only look forward. We will meet King Jesus in the sky, and we will be reunited in the presence of Jesus Christ. According to Revelation 6.14, every mountain and island will be removed out of its place. According to Revelation 16.19, the cities of the nations will fall. Now let's just use some common sense here. If the mountains are gone and the islands sink into the sea and the cities fall, as the Bible teaches, there's only one safe place left to be, isn't there? It's not on the earth. Where is it? It's in the sky. We don't meet the Lord on the ground. We meet Him in the air because we will not stay here for the thousand years. We will not have to occupy a devastated planet. We're being airlifted out of here to there, to a there that matters. Here will not be a good place during that millennium. Have you wondered what heaven is really like? Have you ever wondered, really, what it's really like? On your bed at night, eyes open, looking up, thinking, what will it be like to breathe eternal air? What will be the feeling of taking the fruit of the tree of life? What will it be like to sing with angels? You know, what will be the feeling that goes through the body when you have no temptation in you? Your whole being is bent toward worship, obedience, and faith forever and ever and ever. Man, that could get you moving in the right direction. For a thousand years... You will see what it's like. 
You will reign where Jesus has been for the last 2,000 years. And you will see the face of God. You will enjoy the company of angels. You will reign with God and there will be no connection to the past during that 1,000 years. John 14, 1-3, Jesus put it simply and profoundly, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And then he says this, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is very clear. Where he has been, we're going. Where he has been preparing a place for us is where we are going. You don't have to live here for a thousand years with the devil. Isn't that good news? You don't have to occupy a planet where the devil is still at. For the past 2,000 years, Jesus has represented you. He's represented the Christian church. He's represented every single person who comes to God in faith at the right hand of God as our great high priest and intercessor. And now we will go to the very presence of God to be introduced to God by Jesus Christ. You know, if you love Jesus, you will spend the next thousand years with Him and with God. Revelation 20, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom judgment was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. I mean, you know, evil may crush you, It may look as if evil wins in your life. But dear heart, if you go down to the grave, faithful to God in Christ, you will come up victorious for eternity. And here we have the fate of those who survived the end time persecution, who who by faith endured death or other circumstances. In 1 Corinthians 6.2, the Bible says the saints will judge the world. In 1 Corinthians 6.3, it says, don't you even know that you will judge angels? I mean, before the final executive judgment of evil at the end of the millennium, before God deals with the devil and all of his followers, the saints will have a chance to sit in the judgment chair, to look at the evidence, and to test the character of God and say, Amen, God is true. Revelation 20, verse 5, the wicked don't come to life until the end of the thousand years. So the first resurrection in the context is the resurrection of the righteous at the beginning of the millennium, And the second resurrection is the resurrection of the wicked at the end of the millennium. So when Jesus comes back, the wicked living are killed by his glory. The islands sink, the mountains are moved, the cities fall. And the wicked are left in their graves until the end of the millennium. Now that means there is no one here on earth to tempt, and the devil is in prison for a thousand years. It is a prison of circumstances. So the dragon can't tempt anyone until the thousand years are ended. Now, think about this. The devil gets a vacation. You know, one thing about him, he's persistent. He never takes a vacation. Isn't that true? I mean, you take a vacation, or you should. But does the devil take a vacation in harassing you in your life? No. Well, God is going to give him a vacation without pay in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Can't do any harm to anyone else for a millennium. Look at verse 7, Revelation 20. And when the thousand years are ended... Satan will be loosed from his prison. You say, "Uh uh-oh, why do that? Now, if the wicked come to life, as the Bible says, at the end of the millennium, in the second resurrection, then this verse makes a lot of good sense. 
Satan can't deceive anyone unless they're alive. Isn't that true? So when they come to life at the end of the millennium, now he can deceive them. So when the wicked come to life at the end of the thousand years, he is logically loosed to deceive them all over again. Look at verse 8. And Satan will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, that is Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven. And what did it do, according to that verse? Some Bibles will say it devoured them. Mine says it consumed them. At the end of the millennium, the holy city appears right here on planet earth. So the question is is deserving here. How on earth did the holy city get here at the end of the millennium? Why is it suddenly here when it should be there in the context? The answer is given a little later in Revelation 21, verse 2. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it right there for today's Reaching Your Heart. We will complete the death of darkness in the last morning, the last message in the Cosmic Controversy series the next time we get together. Until then, it is available in its entirety at reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.